Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast. I'm your host, Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady. Edible Alpha is a curated learning community whose goal is to accelerate the dissemination of the best practices for creating profitable food companies. This starts with understanding and implementing the right business model and preparing companies to raise the right kind of money at the right time. This information is what entrepreneurs need. It's also what lenders and investors need. This podcast series is one dimension of Edible Alpha. In it, we will be interviewing a wide range of stakeholders, including entrepreneurs, lenders, investors, and service providers. Each of these podcasts will showcase elements required to build and fund profitable food businesses. So, hey, Stephen and Christine, thanks for coming down to talk to us today. Our pleasure. Yeah, our pleasure. Yeah. So, um... I want to start by having you tell our listeners just how you got started with your food company, because I know it's been quite a journey. You know, we we got started with the food company just by, I think, having the, the desire to make something we felt was really tasty that we were enjoying and feeling it was the right time for others to to give it a try. It's not your typical baked snack. It's just a dehydrated um, whole ingredient organic food put together, and there's nothing else like it. So we thought, well, let's let's give this a try. And we started off super small, and it's just been growing ever since. Yeah, so maybe um, describe your product, too, because I'm not sure that people really know your product yet. Right. Well, um, we make these gorilla goods, as we call them, and it's, it's a nice line of, um, as Chris said, organic, certified organic raw snacks, um, but they're, they're unlike bars or chips or, or uh, what is typical in the, in the natural trend in that they're kind of uh, clusters and mixes that in many ways um, are similar to some of the trail mixes and nuts and seed mixes. But we, we kind of have a unique process that, that really intensifies flavors and intensifies the nutrition with uh, the dehydration system that we use. So instead of being, um, uh, instead of being, uh, a more common combination of, of materials, the process that we use gives great textures, great flavors and, that are not as common, and yet it does it without compromising the nutrition. So it's, it's a really nutrient-dense, optimal way to get a snack that's, that's really fresh and raw. And would you say that that dehydration process is something that really makes your company and your brand defensively unique? I think it does. Um, the the system, you know, when, when, when foods are dehydrated and dehydration has been, you know, probably the oldest form of preservation, food preservation in the planet uh, because it is effective and it is a nutritious way to, to try and preserve food. Um, but typically, dehydration usually depends on heat or uh, or airflow or both. And we've tried to uh, eliminate or minimize the heat end of it because heat, if you are excessive on it, of course, it really speeds up the process. But that's where you start to, to compromise nutrition. Um, and so we we kind of downplay the heat uh, and minimize that, but have to make up for it in creative ways on airflow, and so the system and the way we put the product together into that system maximizes a very unique way of getting optimal airflow, and so we're able to achieve texture that you wouldn't normally get. You know, you think of dehydrated fruit leathers and things as ours, we get crunch, we get great variety in texture because of that way we handle the airflow, um, and at the same time, it also works well because it's it uh, maximizes our ability to keep the food safe. Uh, as a raw food, you have to be very careful because you're not, you know, 
introducing too many uh, traditional kill steps, if you will. So it's a great, great system, and, and uh, I think maximizes the the technology at hand. You know, I've never heard you describe your process in this much detail. And n now that I hear you describe it this way, I say, absolutely, this makes you defensively unique. And and this means that you actually manufacture yourself, right? Correct. Yeah, we're, we're not co-packing. We, we do everything here in our, uh, in our facility uh, in Jackson, uh, including the packaging. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a neat process because we enjoy being able to work with, with it from the basic ingredients out of the box into the finished ingredients back into the box. We peel the banana. We, we get in cases of limes and use little hand zesters and take the zest off and then squeeze them. And we buy local uh, organic kale and use that in our the one that has kale and the fresh cilantro. It's, it's really just taking real whole ingredients uh, all organic, fair trade, and taking those and just chopping them up and putting them together with other spices and and ingredients that bring it all into a new new flavor profile that uh, that are that are that are tasty, but yet simply um, simply nutritious, but good whole food. And Christine, are you the person who does a lot of the new product development? I do, uh, of course. With with Stephen, um, I get to eat them. <laughs> you get to eat them. He's my tester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, the, the original that came out, the jungle that's now called jungle, was the the first thing and only thing we were making for a long time. It was something we've been putting together for over twenty years. Just um, bananas, raisins, nuts, coconut, and the the flavor of it was was really was was so good we called them really good which is really the name of the company now hmm. we couldn't trademark that so it's now gorilla goods and we do um, align ourselves with saving gorillas gorillas with the Diane Fossey Gorilla Foundation which um, we we are very happy to align with they're in their 50th anniversary and she was. Diane Fossey was quite a, an inspiration to me, and uh, I think anybody that is, has a love of animals. And that, that is a great sequidor into um, another topic I wanted to talk to you with you about, which was um, your brand and the whole repositioning of your brand that you did along the way. Yes. Can you share some of that with us? Yes. We had a, a wonderful friend, uh, graphic designer, that helped us get this all launched with our really good name. When we found out we had to change it, she helped us move into the Gorilla Goods. And I wanted a, a gorilla, uh, and I, I wanted it friendly, and it's... Uh, it was too friendly. It was, uh, it was, it was too friendly? Well... It's, it's a wonderful transition, but some of the people at our trade show thought it was more for kids because it, it, looked, it was just fun. And with that, with those thoughts in mind, we, we took that dilemma to a local Milwaukee marketing firm, Delta and Lincoln, and they sat us down and really identified who our, our market was and how we can approach uh, the the new the new look of it with a a a, nice, a friendly gorilla but stronger and you know more universal uh, different font types different colors and they have they have really taken this to every level of professionalism that we you know would ever dream we couldn't even dream of it ourselves yeah it was it was interesting because we we were looking at it from uh, our excitement and our fun and never really stepped back and said, you know, what, what, is, what is the market? What are they seeing? And so forth. And, and that laser-sharp focus uh, we've come to realize is critical, uh, especially with the small companies trying to step into the larger arena. We, 
we were basically naive until, as Chris said, one of the very first national trade shows we were at, and these people were saying, great product, but it looks like it's for kids in this wrapper. And, you know, we were, well, sure, give it to kids, but they were saying, no, it, 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 won't, uh, it won't make it in its, in its true uh, target. So we had to come back and, and really start over. And as Chris said, we, we went and got help, and that is an investment that really um, we could not have seen how important that was, but we, we understand completely that. That is a very critical part of, of any brand. Uh, you know, you think it's the product and it's, you get a good product, but it's, it's probably equally or more so uh, how it's put together, packaged, and marketed. Well, and, um, and also specifically to your target consumer, right? Like we put together stuff, a lot of food entrepreneurs do this, right? We, we create foods that we like, right? Right. And, and that may or may not be what your target consumer wants. Yes, yes, very true. And, and we need to adjust. Uh, and, and Chris is doing that even with some of the recipes that she developed to, to recognize what, you know, what, what the market is going to take to and how it, how it can best fit. Well, I, kind of, I think, you know, we make, we make things foods that we love because we make them for us and then we share them with the consumers. So I think, I think creating the foods that we love and then knowing that the people like us are going to love it as well. So if we, if our, if our, you know, if our target guy is adventurous and loves hiking and the outdoors and nature, uh, that inspires me to keep creating foods that I love. Mm-hmm. And is that your target consumer? It is. Okay. Did you know that before you went through the work you did with Boulder Lincoln? No. No. No, we, no. Didn't, we didn't know that there was even, you know, somebody we were making it for besides us. But then when they sat us down and said, who are you? And we, we whittled it down to, you know, we're, we're just adventurous people, but without... Uh, it, it was a great process pulling together the the core value of you know we we, we value certified organic we value the clean the unprocessed for these snacks and we wanted that to be the focus um, but then you take those core elements and you say well who does that align with and, and and specifically where in the store does that person shop and what you know what colors work that was incredible that that identification and Beltran Lincoln forced us to identify that person, that target, and not as a market, but as a specific individual, even though it you know appeals to a broader range than one person. But we had to do the exercise and get it down to identifying, giving him a name, what kind of car he drives, the whole thing, so that it it kept us aware of where we were pointing. And that has been immeasurably valuable as other things come up, whether it's, you know, where do we put our marketing dollar? How do we respond to this thing? We, we think in terms of Jack. Mm-hmm. And that has been very, very helpful. Yeah. There's this process in marketing that marketing people talk about um, target. You, you identify your target per market and then you have a segment, a market segment, which is um, the group that your target market is in. And then you position everything around your product for that target market. So that's basically what you just described. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's critical. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Super powerful. So, so once you decided, and maybe this was before that, but you decided that Jack was adventurous um, now, when I taste your latest products, I would call a lot of the flavors adventurous. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think I'd agree. I mean, our, our original products were maybe a little more, um, not mainstream, but more... more. Uh... I think they're all adventurous. I think the, the crunch and the, um, you know, just the... Like, like we said, the simple ingredients in them. But the adventure part, I think, is the, the new uh, 
you know, the the spiciness of the the Baja with the cilantro and lime. Yeah, absolutely. But feeling more, you know, uh, we've got to get something, you know, more spicy in there. And even the, the kale, we've been making that kale uh, pumpkin seed with, with tamari and onion flakes and cayenne as long as we've been making the original. But it was our... It was our snack that we'd go to when we wanted, um, you know, something saltier, more savory. And that one, people, people just, they're amazed at the, at the flavor profile of that one. I think just because they haven't had tamari and onion and cayenne and nutritional yeast uh, with pumpkin seeds and kale. Right, and pumpkin seeds can, can be available, and I don't think they're often real zesty in any way. I mean, traditionally, and even kale, kale chips and things are out there, and they're unique and different, but uh, I think people are surprised with kale pumpkin seed combination and those flavors that Chris has together, because it is, uh, it's a really very satisfying, savory snack. Right, and I I do think the word adventurous um, goes along with that flavor profile. It's an amazing product. I mean, I've had a lot of kale chips that taste like the box <laughs> at <true>. best. <laughs> and yours clearly don't taste like the box. Um, so you also, in that repositioning of the brand, you changed the format or the size of your product too, right? Yes, that's a good point. We, we, we had changed from... Uh, you know, a, a more solid shape into pieces. And that changed the look, uh, you know, and it isn't in the, kind of in a unique category. And it opened up the possibility of the other varieties that Chris was developing uh, because the packaging changed, the type of packaging machinery, and that gave us the ability to really expand the, extend the line with the new varieties. Do people have a hard time figuring out where to put your product in a store? Yes, um, which can be a challenge, but we're starting to feel that it also is a, uh, there's an asset to that because it enables us uh, to be a little more, there's a little more dialogue with our, with our reviews or our presentation and, and a little more focus on what is this product rather than just, oh, energy bar goes there or whatever. So it, it's a, it requires more on our part to help uh, acclimate and place the product, but I think it then uh, somehow just differentiates it or think, you know pulls it into a different category than just falling into another bar or another chip. So where do stores put your product? Well, in the beginning, they put it on the shelf with all the other bars because it was round, but they felt it was similar. And then when we brought in the the savory pumpkin seeds, which were loose, uh, more of a snacky type thing, they put it right there because it was just a line extension. Mm. And now that we have the three other varieties that are loose, trail, nut seed type mixes, uh, I think they're still just giving us line extensions in the same, in the same place for those stores that had us in the very beginning. There are some stores that put us in their raw sets if they have a raw area. And there are some stores that put us at the front cash register, which is amazing. Yeah, I think I think the fact that we now have more than three varieties is key because some of the uh, accounts are seeing it as a more uh, more attractive brand to feature at a check stand. And we're, we're finding it's moving there, which is great news for us. And the new packaging is more grab and gold look. So I think we're finding better placement at check stands uh, because of the fact that the brands become a little stronger uh, present. The the other area is, uh, as Chris said, in Ross, that uh, some stores are experimenting in their in their fresh produce area because it is a raw and it goes with snacks and salads. So, but we also have plans for another size to come out because the new varieties are more, uh, I'll say, trail mixy, uh, and that category in the aisle is typically larger packages. 
Mm. We are looking at that, and I think that will complete the placement of those loose mixed snacks in a bulkier size. Yeah, I tell people that for a brand to really get any kind of recognition on the shelf, you kind of need to have three SKUs. Yeah, yes, I think that's a good minimum uh, because if it's one SKU or two, you know, it's going to end up on the bottom of the shelf if it gets in there at all. Right. And it's just without much real estate, it's so difficult for a consumer to see it or find it, you know, short of having demos every day. And uh, But if you can uh, get a little more extended line, it, it just brings visibility up and it makes the brand more, uh, a much stronger brand. Have you guys ever considered um, taking your product into food service? Because I, I, I think about going to a um, microbrewery or something, and the, it, some of your products pair so well with um, craft beer, for example, and, you know, you go there and they have the same old bad pizza. And I just feel like it would be an incredible opportunity for you guys. I agree. Yes, it would. You know, we, um, you know, we think food service, at least myself, I think, you know, schools and things, which we run into budget problems, you know, for premium kind of ingredient product. But food service, in the way you refer to it, Tara, which includes, you know, all these other aspects uh you know, even cafes, coffee shops, uh, you know, different areas, it certainly would be an area we should we should pursue. So when you were starting out, um, how big did you think you needed to get in your business? Well, we were buying two cases of bananas at a time. <laughs> we knew that we get up to 12 eventually. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that a funny thing? It is. When I when I look at the scale of even our old mixer and how I thought that was just enormous compared to my home food processor that I started all this in, and now I look at our mixer, and I'm sure, you know, years from now, that's going to look small, and how things just evolve into, into the next step and without you even realizing that you're, you've done that. You know, Tara, I think you bring up a key point. I don't think the startup or the first-time food entrepreneur, and that was certainly us, still is, and, and has any real sense of the size of the market or the arena that's available. And it's very hard to, and, and not that you, not many of us have the ability to just you know, shoot big and know it's big because there's so much capital involved. But I I really think that is one of the uh, difficult things to get a hold of and understand as a a young company in the food business. And um, not that you make too many changes in your decision-making if you did understand it, but at least you would know, you know, where all these projections and all of this and and whether they're credible or not because – it is, it is an amazing uh, but very large landscape that this happens in. Right. So the landscape is big, and your products are small. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And so now, now um, with the benefit of hindsight, um, would you have started differently? I don't think we could have. We we started with what we what we knew how to do, and with what we could afford to get set up with, and just took our first step and went and knocked on a couple of of doors doors and and I think that's the way that an entrepreneur starts. I'll say that we yeah I agree we we probably would have taken the same steps. We might have taken a deeper look at the manufacturing co-packing uh, process. Not that we would have gone co-packing, but just to understand, I think from that, that there are, uh, I think that would have played more into our, uh, what we were putting together for our finances. And then the other part of it, I think, would be that our long-term goals and our long-term projections probably 
probably would have been different if we had a better grab on, uh, you know, this large landscape. And what I say with that is the, you know, the real, what it's going to take and what kind of capacity we really would have to get to and, and then understanding what does that mean in terms of, you know, the whole staffing and, and all of the administrative and, and managerial aspects that come with it. Uh, it probably, if you understood how large the landscape is, it would probably give all of us a more realistic uh, look at those elements as we decide to go forward and which way to go. Right. So it sounds like if I had to summarize, you had, you kind of incrementally got into this business and then realized that you were going to get a lot bigger than you thought. Is that fair? Yes. I think that in, in, along the way, realizing that, okay, we're, we're okay with getting bigger. But, yeah, I think it, it was incremental, like you said, Tara, and after enough of those increments and we started to get a better feel of what this really meant, I think we were still really excited and felt, yep, we're going to go forward and, and take the steps that are even bigger than we thought they were going to be. Um, but, yeah, it, it kind of had its own momentum in the beginning. Sure. So the fact that you manufactured yourself meant that you had to buy a bunch of equipment. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, when I, I talk to people a lot about, like, sources and uses of capital, right? So one source of capital or one use of capital in your business that was probably quite significant is this equipment, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah, and um, and that is an area where you can get bank financing fairly easily. I mean, easily may be a stretch, but but they you know there's collateral there, so banks like that. Um, did you realize how much working capital you were going to need to really grow your brand? Um, I think we might have had an idea of what kind of percent of of our growth uh, capital investment was going to require, but. I don't think we had the the growth. Uh, I don't think we had scaled that concept up enough, so it it exceeded what we thought we were going to go into. Yeah, I I think that's common because I think everybody kind of starts us with this idea that their product is so unique and wonderful that everybody's going to naturally find it once it's on the shelf. You know what I mean? Yeah. So do you do a lot of demoing? We do. Um, it, and I guess, again, that's relative. Uh, most of our distribution in early years, you know, a lot of it has been in our uh, regional neighborhoods. So we are able to uh, access and do enough of our own demos, I think, to really jumpstart things. But that's a huge element of uh, challenge as we grow into other regions and we're not there to demo uh, who is. And that's really just um, developing for us in terms of strategy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and just infrastructure, right? You need you need people feet on the street in order to execute all that. Absolutely. It's uh, you can't uh, you can't. And I know we we said this, but when we finally landed into a couple of the national distributors, uh, in many ways, I think we thought, great, we've arrived. Now we're there, and this product is going to go everywhere. But as has been said by many very wise people, and I, I didn't didn't read it before we were into distribution, but uh, getting into national distribution is you haven't arrived; you've just gotten to the starting line, and it's it's time to go. Uh, so it wasn't the finish; it's the beginning. Right. And so was it about the time you went into national distribution that you realized you needed to raise more money? Yes. Absolutely. I think those two really hit. Uh, I mean, we knew we were growing. We knew we had to either expand with our banking relationships or whatever. But once we hit national distribution and that whole capital infrastructure and the needs uh, appeared, we realized, wow, this is a bigger commitment and not as easily found in our bank because it didn't involve assets so much as that, you know, the working capital was. Uh, was going to have to come somewhere else. Right. 
So, um, so what was the first thing you did when you just when you kind of came to the realization that you needed to raise equity? After the panic, you mean? Or? After the panic, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think we we probably took the excitement of realizing, holy cow, this, this is big, and tried to focus on that and not not be overwhelmed with, oh my gosh, this is this is too big, and um, and took initial steps. Uh, obviously, we we tried to reach out uh, with some of, you know, things you have going, Tara, the Food Institute, the FAB program, start locally and see what was available to get some help, whether it was uh, developing the, you know, the, the investment assets we needed to have to go out and solicit funds or just help in improving our operations and other sources. So we, we, we went to the free resources that we could find to... Uh, help us get our strategy together, knowing we were going to have to, we couldn't do it by ourselves. And, and those steps led to other steps. And uh, uh, we became a little more active, I guess, in, in realizing we have to devote some time and energy to securing funds and developing a larger operation. And then uh, that put us in the, in the flow of enough elements that came together for us to secure some funding. Right. I remember, <clears throat> excuse me, I remember working with you um, to put your um, investor pitch deck together. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, uh, uh, my, my recollection of that was that, um, and this is a typical thing for me, working with somebody and getting ready to pitch that you were still kind of thinking about your business as your products instead of the value proposition of your business. Yes, we kind of like the, the development of the brand for the wrapper and the package that we experienced with Belcher and Lincoln uh, kind of got parallel all of a sudden to realizing that our, our, uh, our capital needs and the pitch and everything, we had, to, we had to go through a similar process to realize, okay, it's, uh, we, were, we were thinking of our product, we were, and we, we were not sophisticated enough to... Uh, put put a package and a pitch together that would successfully help us navigate into serious funding uh, results. Yeah, and it's it's getting ready to to um, pitch the value. Pro- I said the value proposition of the business, but it's how your business is going to make money for you and for an investor. Right, that's a different conversation than the conversation that you develop for your brand work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, it's part of it. You have to explain to an investor the, the work that you did with Balter Lincoln, but they really care a lot more about the money side of the business. Yes. And I remember that was, uh, you, you were persistent enough to help us understand that, uh, because many, much of the work we were doing initially in that pitch, and I remember the conversations with you and some of the other advisors of, you know, yeah, that's, that's all marketing or that's your brand. We have to get into these numbers and show the investor, yes, where, where it's going to be a success and how the return will be there for them. And that's a different parallel with different uh, language altogether. Yeah, it's different language and it's just different focus. And the other thing I, I remember about that process was helping you understand just how valuable and important your manufacturing was to your defensible uniqueness. Yes. Yeah. We just, we didn't realize the key elements that, you know, the investors, the people who are reviewing and, and, and optimizing their interactions with companies all the time, uh, you know, what, what were they going to key in on and what are they, and, and the whole proprietary system and, and being defensible, those things, you know, we hadn't uh, really, evaluated or, or emphasized those enough uh, and in the process didn't even realize ourselves uh, were they uh, proprietary and, and where are our strengths. So, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was very important because it, it cements 
in our own mind whether we're making the right move to go forward. Right, right. So if I remember correctly, you ended up pitching at um, X, wasn't it at Expo West? Yeah. That was the first time you pitched, right? Right. We pitched um, at Expo West, uh, and it was kind of a warm-up. We thought we were going to be pitching, you know, at Slow Money, Wisconsin, and things. And um, so we did a pitch, uh, and I have to admit we probably were hadn't realized how serious it was and we were a little casual about it because we kind of looked at it as rehearsal. But fortunately, we we uh, we did make some connections there, wonderful connections. And that was in March, and that did lead to um, ultimately serious discussion and and very exciting uh, partnership with with the company that was sponsoring that pitch, Nature's Path. Did you even realize that Nature's Path was sponsoring that when you pitched? No. Um, well, at least not originally when we kind of applied. We heard about this little quick thing, and and again, I I, I just did not uh, take it seriously. You know, I thought, well, this will be fun. We'll do this. I had been looking at the um, the pitch slam at Expo West, which is their highlighted, you know, large, and we applied for that. We didn't make it to the finals. So then there was, oh, here's this other little one on the side that some company is sponsoring, you know, what's my thinking? So we had kind of done enough work to say, okay, well, let's, let's send our application over to them. And um, and then it was like the week before Expo, we found out that we were in the final 10 and three were going to pitch. And I, I, I can't even remember. I think it was two days or a day before we left that we got an email saying, oh, you're, you're one of the three, so come to this room at noon on Saturday and and I let it go at that. And I think Chris even has to remind me, oh, hey, you've got to go do that pitch. <laughs> so I took off, and it was huge. It was not a small uh, event. In fact, it was much larger in scale than a pitch slam at Expo. And they had this beautiful organic buffet with ice sculptures going on and all this, you know, and these people. And I, I thought I was in the wrong place. Um, but uh, it turned out uh, to be a great experience. And at that point, I realized, wow, Nature's Path, uh, who I was, I think Chris and I were only, uh, uh, we were not as familiar with their product or their company, but um, it, it, it was amazing what they did there and how they used that to, uh, to provide opportunities for young upstarts. And then we talked after it, and uh, the discussions developed in a really uh, wonderful way from that point. That's incredible. So I can just see you with the melting ice sculptures and the shrimp right on the table while you go in there to pitch. I love it. I know. And I, like I said, I thought, that's a cool event. I wonder what's going on in there. And I went past that hall like three times looking for the pitch room. And Oh, that's hysterical. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was pretty cool. I, I remember realizing it was the right room the third time I walked past. And also I glanced in and here was this giant logo flashing on the screens up above and they were really good and I go oh wow <laughs> that's so, uh, it was it was a great experience and they're a great family company you know things just really aligned uh, so well and uh, that was very fortunate for us and we're really just getting that aspect that chapter started so they have made a um, strategic investment in your company right yeah yeah and they have a, um, the, is it a distribution center or a manufacturing um, facility in Wisconsin as well? They do. They, um, uh, they have a manufacturing facility in Sussex, it's like 15 miles away from our facility. And that's, that's so crazy. Yeah, it's very coincidental, but it's, uh, it's been interesting. And, um, uh, but they're a Canadian company. They have a large manufacturing facility in Washington State as well. And, of course, they're Canadian operations. But kind of nice because their Sussex operation, um, you know, they're, they're down here. They're, their management team, you know, has uh, things going on. They're back and forth, and they've been able to tie that in with, with being with us as well. So it's, it's helped move things along. Oh, I'm sure from their perspective, it's a lot easier to invest in, in a company that's right down the road from a place they're going anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And it so, was interesting because they, they kind of got into Sussex in some respects because of its location, being in Wisconsin and being central to the country. And so many of the things that we value with, with being here uh, are kind of mirrored by what they were looking for when they, when they made the move to open up in Sussex. That's terrific. Yeah. So I think the decision to bring in a large strategic investment is a big one for an entrepreneur. Um, and clearly you came to the place where you said yes. Um, what, what kinds of things were you thinking about at that time? A lot of things. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, and I'm not sure if Christine has thought. I mean, I think she and I both looked at it, you know, from different, came at it from different angles because uh, I was looking at it probably more from the numbers standpoint through these whole processes. And I think Chris has a very uh, a different attachment to, to what we do here. So it meant different things to her to, to suddenly bring in a, a new partner. Um, but from a numbers standpoint, maybe you can. Well, they, their enthusiasm for the Gorilla Goods themselves was, was heartwarming. They, they truly did love them. And Arjun's... Uh, interest in raw dehydrated food uh, was, I think, a, a key factor in, in inspiring me to continue to develop because he was, he's very interested in expand, expanding, uh, you know, what we have to offer. And I think just knowing that the family really enjoyed eating the product is was key to inspiration to keep going. It was a good family connection, and I think that meant a lot to both of us, but certainly Chris resonated uh, with, with their family uh, ownership, and uh, and they gave us great time, especially now when we realize how small we are in their family, so to speak, business family. Uh, but looking back, they really gave us an inordinate amount of time and in the process, and that was helpful. From a numbers standpoint, for me, it was uh, easier to evaluate. Uh, there was obviously some negotiating. We had a great attorney with us all the way who, uh, who we did connect with through the FAB uh, process that we were in. That was great. And I think that, um, that gave us a lot of experience in, in the evaluation process. But um, it was, uh, I guess, uh, it was such a good option. For us, and it really, uh, after the negotiation part of it was done, I think we felt very good that we had support. We had great experience, great operational assets that were now available to us, and we had to, of course, trust and give away some of our uh, uh, total ability to to evaluate everything because now there's more of us involved in that process. But we. We do trust the success that Nature's Path has and has had, and we know that that's, um, that's something we, we don't have that experience, so uh, we feel that uh, it was a good trade-off. So <clears throat> this happened not so long ago, but has it, have you been living with it long enough to feel the impact of having a, a partner who has the kind of national scope that they have? Um, it, it's, it's beginning. We, we actually signed with them uh, at Expo East in September. So it's been, you know, three, four months. Uh, and most of the initial stage uh, has been uh, how to integrate and communicate so that we know who we're talking with and meeting people, you know, so that we know what the team is um, before any decisions can really start to happen. Uh, but we did have our first uh, full-fledged board meeting with them a few weeks ago before the holidays, and it was very dynamic and very, um, I think we, we left that meeting realizing that uh, it's, it's a growth process that is going to happen in a very well-orchestrated way. So uh, there's a lot of work to do uh, because they are a bigger company, and, and we have to start to work uh, in the same scale that they're at, even though we're not at that scale. 
And I, I think we're glad that that's what they're doing. And, and, and even, in, it's, I guess I can say even in terms of food safety, they want to accelerate us, uh, which is such a good thing uh, beyond what we would have to do maybe in, in the uh, uh, requirements for our company size because they want to represent us. And if they're going to represent us, uh, it's at a bigger scale. So it's a good process, and it's, it's just now, now the holidays interrupt things, but it's going to be a busy January. Yeah, it sounds like it. And are, are you going to go into their um, sales um, sales infrastructure? Yes, that's, uh, that was actually their first focus, um, and, and they, they identified two regions that they want us to focus on, and we've met with their team, and it's pretty amazing uh, to suddenly have more salespeople at one meeting than we have in our entire company. Of yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's exciting. And with that, though, came the, uh, the accompanying responsibility to identify, wow, if this uh, well-oiled machine that they have is going to start to plug us in, we have to be sure that we have... Uh, the continuation of, of the standards we've set and they match their standards and the steps we have in place and so forth. So I think the, uh, the operational side of it is now realizing that, okay, if sales is going to take off with this new exciting brand, um, we have to make sure the operation side of it is, is ready and, and um, secure. Right. And how exciting is that? I know, I know. It's, uh, we'll tell you in another three months. We'll come back to you. <laughs> you know, I usually end these interviews by saying, you know, what's next for you? But I think you just said what's next for you. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're wearing seatbelts around here. Now. I bet. I bet. Are you hiring people, oh, yeah. too? Yes, we're filling up our, our employees, and quite quickly. <laughs> yeah, and, and thank you for your flexibility. I, I interviewed this morning at 1 this afternoon, and Chris just hired another person last week, and it's, uh, we're, we're, we're great. We have good people joining us, too, so it's kind of fun. Oh, that's terrific. Yep. You know, it's a ter- terrific success f- story for your community, too. We, we like that uh, as we meet more of the people who are coming in to help and become part of the team, it, it does feel more like we're, we're becoming a bigger part of the community, and, and it's a good community to be in. I think it's a, it's a success story, story for, for consumers because they're choosing really good options to be putting into their body. Yep. Right. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's, it's a really great thing because... If you if you nourish yourself well, your mind thinks thinks clearer, and I, I think it just really balances everything within your body, and and the world can all use a little more balance. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, did we miss anything? Anything else you want to share? One thing that uh, I think was you brought up in one of your earlier sessions with us, perhaps that. Uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, certainly 20 years ago, we hoped and dreamed of, of, you know, larger companies jumping on cleaner food or organic or whatever you want to call. And now that we see so much momentum there, it's funny the other problems that come up in terms of, well, you know, is there going to be enough for the smaller companies? And, and how do the smaller companies, because the larger companies are are acquiring or, or uh, you know, so... We all wanted it to happen, and now that it's happening, it's like, wow, is, is the process, what is the best process to continue to see this happen? And, and the demand, and, and is there going to be enough, you know, kale and, and, and organic wheat and things like that? So it's, it's exciting challenges that we would never even have thought would, would be part of uh, what we're looking at, but, uh, but it, it's not like, great, everybody wants organic now. Then you go, wait a minute. There's problems with that too, and and we have to figure out how to how to make that transition and keep it in the pace of what the demand is. Right, and what a great opportunity for us in Wisconsin, you know. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we we are 
I think people don't realize that we're number two in the country in terms of the amount of organic agriculture in the yeah. state. Yeah. 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 Isn't that something? Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with Organic Valley being located here, but it's not entirely dairy. You know, we have a lot of organic food grown in this state. Right. But the dairy and, and, and even all the other, you know, it's amazing. You look at the the, the way agriculture is is uh, finding ways to, to stay innovative and, and, you know, whether it's dairy or, or, or you know, all the animal husbandry, the whole thing, it's exciting, but it's... Uh, it is exciting. And Arjun, I've heard him say that part of the reason they decided to locate here to begin with was the fact that we were number two in the country in organic agriculture. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's been super exciting to be part of um, your transformation from a small little startup to something pretty substantial with an incredibly exciting future. Well, we're glad you still consider it exciting, Tara, because you have seen us from a very, from a very beginning moment uh, a few years back. So it's uh, it's good we're all on the ride together. Yeah, absolutely. And um, thanks for sharing your experience. And um, we will be in touch. I'm I'm still here to help support folks like you as you grow. So great. Thanks for everything, Tara. You've, yeah. been, a, you've been a big part of this whole transition. I, yeah. Hey, it's my pleasure. We'll look forward to all the podcasts and everything you develop. Yeah, it'll yeah. be, it'll be, it'll still be helpful as you, even though you'll be the big boys on the block, it'll <laughs> still be helpful. <laughs> but we're at least we're, we're going to stay friendly. Yeah, exactly. Hey, good to talk to you. You too. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Edible Alpha podcast. If you like what you heard, rate us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Visit edible-alpha.org for more resources about the best practices in making money in food.